Hello, I'm Neil Quigley, and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast. This week, what happened when I went to the recording of a cool music TV show in the 90s? The band that I reckon drink more than any other band I've ever seen play live. The first ever pop star I met when I was younger. Festival season is on the way. I remember going to a very early Capital FM event, long before they got anything as big as the summertime ball. It was the royal wedding this weekend. Find out how my cousin got to his own wedding. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Do you remember a TV programme on Channel 4, a music-based programme that came about at the time when indie and Britpop was kind of just making its way through and becoming very popular? It was hosted by the Radio 1 DJ at the time, Mark Radcliffe, and it was called The White Room. For the time, it was quite an unusual, quite a different music television show featuring bands that wouldn't necessarily appear on Top of the Pops or the other music shows that regularly. The show ran for a couple of series in the mid-1990s and my then-girlfriend at the time got some tickets to go along and see one of the shows being made. My memory serves me right, I think it was recorded on something like a Wednesday night and then it went out on a Friday night on Channel 4 after 10 o'clock, quite a late slot. At the time, this was the very first television show that I'd ever been along to watch live. It was filmed in some TV studios out Brixton Way. Now it was the mid-90s, Britpop was happening, music was free, music was fun, rock and roll was kind of back happening again. So for the audience, there was actually an audience bar, which I'll be honest, I did take advantage of by having a couple of drinks. How many TV shows nowadays can you go to where there's actually a bar for the audience to drink before they go in to watch the show? Not many now, and I would suspect not many at that time either, bit of a rarity. The only other thing that was probably doing that at the same time was TFI Friday, and they actually had a bar as part of the set. It was at the time quite a cool and trendy TV show, showcasing lots of great new indie music, but also nodding back to classic artists who maybe weren't getting quite as much airplay at that point as they had done in the past, but who had definitely been an influence on the current musicians who were performing and who were playing. Going to that TV recording was actually the first time I remember seeing Phil Jupiter's. He, of course, is a massive music fan and always has been and for quite some time had his own show on Six Music, the BBC Digital Station. But, of course, he is also a comedian and he was doing the warm-up for this show. So he was the one on the microphone getting the audience in position, getting us warmed up, coming on, telling jokes. The set for the show was pretty cool. They had four or five different areas where the bands would set up. So you got to move around the studio and get to go from each stage to each stage I'll be honest, as I said, this is the first time I'd been to a TV show recording and I was quite keen to get myself on TV. I really wanted to try and get into shot. Imagine my delight and excitement as they film the opening link to the show, the very first thing they're going to show, and I am standing right behind Mark Radcliffe. So the camera's on Mark Radcliffe, I'm standing to his left, I'm thinking I'm definitely going to be in shot here, this is it, this is my television debut. So that was a great start to the evening, I thought. The show itself was quite wild, quite crazy. It was kind of done in two sections. So we had a few drinks in the bar, then we went in and started filming, and they filmed a few of the bands. Then we had another break while they reset things, and we went back to the bar while they were getting things ready in the studio. It's all very civilised and all very nicely organised, to be fair. At the time, I was a big fan of the band Cast, and one of the main reasons we went to see this particular show being recorded is that Cast were performing. It was great. I got to see Cast come on and do their current song. That was brilliant. Also playing on the show that night were Lauren Laverne's band, Kanicki, so I saw them perform as well. As I said earlier, as well as having up-and-coming new bands, it also had a nod back to more older, established artists who'd influenced the acts and influenced the genre of music that this show was all about. Also performing on the night in the studio I was there were Mark Almond and Lou Reed. 
fantastic to see both of those perform live. It was quite a mad and crazy night, and I remember it being lots of fun. Mark Radcliffe, who was hosting, kept moving around to different parts of the studio to record different links with different groups of people in front of him and behind him. And a bit like classic Top of the Pops, where the bands were on and performing, the audience were encouraged to dance along and get involved. Which I certainly tried to do, although I'll be honest, I am not the greatest dancer in the world. It took about three hours to record, the night ended, we left, we got the train home. The show was recorded on a Wednesday night, but it was shown on Channel 4, 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Me being me, I'd been telling everybody about the fact I'd been to see this show, The White Room. It was going to be on Friday night, and I was saying, look out for it. I think there's a good chance you might see me on screen, see if you can catch me. Really building my part up nicely. As far as I was aware, the opening link, the first thing Mark Radcliffe does when he announces the show, I know I was standing right behind him when he recorded that. So I'm thinking, right at the start of the show, you'll see my face on TV. So Friday night comes, I settle down to watch the show, very, very excited, waiting for the start. Title music comes on, show starts, I'm thinking any second you're going to see my face here on TV, any second. The title's finished and the camera cuts to Mark Radcliffe, standing in a completely different place with a completely different group of people from what I remember when they shot the opening link when I was standing behind him on the Wednesday. At some point during that recording, without me noticing, they must have reshot the opening link because it was completely different to the one I thought I was going to be in. Now, I don't know why they did that. Maybe they realised at some point Mark had said something wrong, or maybe, and I hope this wasn't the case, they thought my face was too ugly to be on TV. Or maybe, because I was quite keen to impress, I'm not sure. I may have been pulling some funny faces, smiling, looking directly at the camera. It may have looked a bit odd. I may have looked like some sort of demented idiot. I don't know. But anyway, I didn't make it onto the screen at that point. I will be honest, I was quite disappointed. I thought this was going to be the big TV debut. I did, of course, sit through the rest of the show. At one point, I got unnecessarily excited because I saw the back of my head as I was dancing. Nobody else would have recognised it or known it as the back of my head, but I recognised myself straight away. I watched the whole show like a hawk from start to finish, and I did spot myself on screen for a total, I would say, of about four seconds of various points was a really great experience to go and see the show and they did have some really cool acts. It was cool, it was slick and they only ever made two series of it in the end so the fact that I got along and saw it is pretty cool, it's pretty special. Although of course my attempts at getting on screen that night and getting my face on TV didn't really go exactly to plan. While we're talking to music and bands and gigs that I've been to see, went to see a fantastic gig many years ago now at the Wembley Arena. I was, and still am, a big fan of the Beautiful South. I think they're a fantastic band, really talented musicians. The songs they write are great. They made some fantastic albums, not just the big hits. Some of their album tracks are fantastic. So I went along with my sister to see a double bill, actually. It was the Lightning Seeds were the support acts, and the Beautiful South were the main act. I listened to all their albums. I knew many of their songs. I was really excited. Lightning Seeds came on and were brilliant, did all their big hits, were absolutely fantastic, it was perfect, nice combination, they worked really well as a setup for the Beautiful South. Then the Beautiful South come on and they are just fantastic, really, really good. But the one thing that stuck in my memory about that gig, I hadn't been to that many gigs at that point, but before or since, I have honestly never seen a band drink so much on stage. Every one of the band members brought at least one or two drinks on stage with them. And fair play to Paul Heaton, he was doing it in particular style that night. He brought on his own bottle of champagne. So while he's singing faultlessly and brilliantly, performing all the Beautiful South's big hits, he was working his way for a bottle of champagne. 
and I'm pretty sure at one point he had to call for a second bottle. Never said a band drink so much on stage, but I'll be honest, it didn't affect their performance at all. They were fantastic from start to finish. I did have my first brief encounter with a pop star when I was about seven years old. Here's what happened. Me and my sister went to the cinema with my mum in Richmond. It was around Christmas time. We were going to see a double bill at the cinema, Mickey's Christmas Carol and The Jungle Book. Both the films back to back. Was quite excited. Didn't go to the cinema very often and I wanted to see both of those films. So it was already going to be a good day. As we arrived at the cinema in Richmond, outside we spotted a familiar figure. Now, like every kid in the country at seven years old, I was a massive fan of Blue Peter. Therefore, I instantly knew when one of the Blue Peter presenters was standing right by me. So we're milling around outside, and none other than Janet Ellis is right outside the cinema near to where we are. I get quite excited and a little bit starstruck and instantly decide I want her autograph. This will be my first celebrity autograph. I'm quite excited about it. But we do have a slight problem. I've not got an autograph book, and even if I did have an autograph book, I probably wouldn't have brought it with me to the cinema. Neither me, my mum or my sister have a bit of paper and a pen on us at all. Now, my memory is a little bit sketchy, but I'm guessing I must have kept asking my mum about it or trying to think of some way around it, some solution. And fair play to my mum. For the limited resources she had, she came up with this idea to help me achieve my goal. In her handbag, she had a small pack of tissues and of course she had a makeup bag as well, which included an eyeliner pen. She gave me the tissue paper and the eyeliner pen as a way of getting Janet Ellis's autograph. Generally I was quite shy as a kid, but I must have found some courage that day because I bowled straight up to Janet Ellis with my bit of tissue paper and my eyeliner pen and asked her very politely if I could have her autograph. I think I might have asked her if she was Janet Ellis first, which is a bit of a cringy question thinking about it now, but in my defence I was only seven. She did confirm she was who I thought she was. And then basically, the only way I can get her autograph, she had to end up leaning on my back. So I bent over so she could lean on my back to try and scribble her autograph on a bit of tissue paper using my mum's eyeliner pen, which fair play to her. She did, not moaning, not complaining at all. Finished, I stood up straight and then she gave it to me. The pop star element of this story, by the way, with Janet that day was a five-year-old girl. Fast forward about 20 or so years later, that five-year-old girl is having a big hit now as a grown woman with Groovejet, Sophie Ellis Baxter. I met her. Sophie, of course, was also a very small child at that point as well. Mind you, I didn't know I met her. I was there with the intention of meeting her mum. I did say I didn't have an autograph book. That chance meeting with Janet Ellis and managing to get her autograph meant that week I went and bought an autograph book. And in it, using sellotape, I stuck my very first autograph. Believe it or not, I still have my autograph book and I still have that Janet Ellis autograph on a bit of tissue paper with her eyeliner. The brilliant thing is, once I did get to remind Janet Ellis about this meeting, she was a guest on my radio show when I was working down in Somerset at Ivel FM. And towards the end of the interview, I did remind her about a trip she may have made to the cinema in Richmond with her daughter and how some very small boy may have asked for her autograph. I mean, obviously, she didn't remember me at all, but she was very polite about it and very nice. And she did offer to give me a new version of her autograph, this time using a marker pen and even on proper paper. 
The Cattle FM Summertime Ball is a massive, massive event now that takes place every year at Wembley Stadium, featuring the biggest names in the music industry. Before, it ended up being the Summertime Ball. Previous to that, it found itself in Hyde Park, and it was the Cattle FM party in the park. It was massive. Hyde Park obviously holds lots of people, about 60,000-odd people. I think they can get in there. Prior to that, when Cattle FM were first starting to do these concerts, they were still calling the event Party in the Park. But the first couple took place at the much smaller Gunnersbury Park. I remember going along to one of these early party of the parks at Gunnersbury Park with a couple of mates one Sunday. They didn't have the one big massive stage that they have now. They didn't even have the size of stage they had when they moved to Hyde Park. So I was lucky enough to go and see a couple of the ones that they did in Hyde Park as well when it got markedly, markedly bigger. But this early event I saw, it was actually quite a small, modest stage where they had the acts on. All the Cattle FM DJs were down there, of course, taking it in turns to bring the acts on and off. Two acts I remember seeing from that party in the park at Gunnersbury. It would have been round about the same time that Boyzone released their first record. They did the cover of the Osman song, Love Me For A Reason. Boyzone were there on stage performing that song. I remember that. And the only other act I definitely remember from that gig was M&8 doing their hit of that time, I've Got A Little Something For You. It was classic. Just shows how that party in the park has now grown into the massive summertime ball and the level of acts they attract and the size of the audience to go and see that. It is amazing. But I kind of saw the early ideas, the start of it. It's nice to see how big and how successful it's become since. That said, that early one I went to was lots of fun and there was plenty of room to move around, which I always think is a bit of a bonus. I'm a massive fan of all sorts of music. I spend hours and hours every week listening to all different kinds of music. But one man who is a bit of a musical hero of mine is Buddy Holly. I love the songs of Buddy Holly. I love his voice, his guitar playing. It's all very unique. It's all very special. And even the story of his life is amazing. It's just completely fascinating. I've read biographies. I've read lots of books and writings about his career and his early personal life as well. And I am a massive fan of Buddy the Musical. You'll be unsurprised to hear. I have seen that show five times and I absolutely love it. It is a brilliant show. Just shows you what a man he was, what a genius he was and how it all was cruelly ended and taken away from us and from him far too soon. The second time I went and saw Buddy in the West End, I was lucky enough to randomly be there on the night that it was the 10th anniversary of the show. So the show finished as normal, which is brilliant. The songs it has in it, you can't go wrong. It's so feel good. It's so fantastic. But to celebrate the 10th anniversary, after the show had finished, the whole cast came back out and did an impromptu 20-25 minute Buddy Holly concert. It was absolutely brilliant. So pleased, so glad I was there to witness that. What a bonus that was for that night. Here's a word of warning for you. When you're on a night out with a group of mates and maybe you're having a meal before you go on somewhere, sometimes it's very worthwhile being a bit selective and making sure you choose a very sensible meal. This, I think, is good advice. Many years ago now, I was on a stag do in Ireland with a group of mates. We were in Dublin. And on the first night, before we went out for a few drinks, we're very civilised. We thought we'd go out for a nice meal. So we found this really nice pub stroke restaurant and all sat down for a big meal. Now, if I'm going to be out for a while, I'm normally quite careful about what I eat. I don't want anything too smelly, so I try and avoid onions. I try and avoid anything like that. One of the dishes on offer was a garlic steak. Now, I love garlic and I love steak, 
but I was on a big night out and I'll be honest I was single at the time I thought you never know there might be some ladies about so I just had something very sensible something that I didn't believe would cause me to smell a couple of the guys not quite so smart they went for this garlic steak and one of the guys I don't know why this happened maybe the chef hand slipped when he was pouring the garlic sauce into the steak but his steak come out absolutely swimming in garlic completely full of the stuff he eats the whole steak without really thinking about it he's having a good time he's got the meal he ordered no problem whatsoever then for the rest of the night he did absolutely reek of garlic i mean i don't know how the garlic was coming out of his pores i don't think i've ever known someone who was giving out that much of a garlicky smell We'd be in pubs in Temple Bar in Dublin and we'd be talking to a group of people and they'd be like, um, can you smell garlic? Have any of you had garlic? And we'd all look at each other, look around and go, no, we haven't. But you see that guy standing right over the other side of the bar near the door? Yeah, he has. It's probably him. I would imagine, though, he has never done this since because that happened 15 18 years ago now. Every time we bump into this guy, we probably bring up this garlic event. It is good advice. If you are on a night out, then I'd be careful with the garlic or the onions. Otherwise, you might cause more of a scene that you were planning. Mind you, we didn't lose him that night, to be fair. It was impossible to. We could always smell exactly where he was. It was the royal wedding this weekend. Prince Harry has married Meghan Markle and they got those ornate, those fabulous coaches to take them around Windsor to celebrate the wedding to meet the people in a very royal and correct and regal way. It did get me thinking about the best way or maybe the best vehicle that a bride or groom have travelled to their own wedding. My cousin's was quite interesting and quite different. He is a bit of an Eddie Stobart fan. He was one of those people who would always note down the names of the lorries. Each of their lorries has a different girl's name. He had the checklist. He'd check them off. He'd take photos. He enjoyed doing that. For his wedding, to travel to his wedding, to travel to the church, he actually got taken there in an Eddie Stobart truck. They managed to organise the Eddie Stobart truck to pick him up from his house and take him to the church. Even better than that, they managed to find the truck that had his wife's name on. Now, how good is that? That is quite a cool and classy way of turning up to the church. I fancy, I'm a massive fan of the 80s American show, Jukes of Hazard, particularly the car, the General Lee. I think if I ever get married, I would love to turn up at the church in the General Lee. And when I arrive, of course, I'll honk that rather distinctive horn. The only difficult thing would be in a full morning suit, getting out of the windows with the doors welded shut. That could be difficult. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Have a fantastic seven days. Stay safe. Be nice to each other. Have lots of fun. And I'll speak to you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.